0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right. Howdy, everybody. Hey, can we say hello to New Brunswick and Nutley? Glad you guys are with us today, joining us for our new series, Follower you probably noticed there actually is a symbol. It's a hashtag in front of the word follower. That hashtag, for those of you over 20, you would call it the number sign. Uh, the way that works is you put a hashtag in front of a word when you comment or you tweet something so that it kind of groups it with other hot topics or trends. And, and, and so here's the deal. Um, I, kinda, I follow a number of different little hashtag lists. For instance, I follow hashtag 11th commandment. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the 11th commandment is actually, the idea is, hey, God has these 10 commandments, but if you were God, what would you make the 11th commandment? And I checked this yesterday. I, I like this one. It says, thine car shall not cost more than thy rent when you still live at your mama's house. <laughs> I'd vote for that. Uh, this is one from God. Thou shalt stop thanking me for Grammy awards. I did not give them to you. That was Satan. That's kind of, ooh, hey. Uh, the 11th commandment is, we do not talk about the 11th commandment, it's a little fight club there. It's kind of fun, Zasha girl, thou shalt not update your Twitter or Facebook status in church, the Lord thy God will unfriend you. That's, that's, that's actually not true. In fact, I want to invite you to tweet, update your status, whatever it is, throughout this series, kind of social media, we'll have some fun with it. Just put hashtag follower uh, and we'll have some fun together. Um, those of you who are young parents, you'll appreciate this. I like this one, failed children's book titles. Like before they were brought to market, this is what they first thought they might call them. Uh, The first one, you know, the very hungry worm, the very hungry tapeworm. It didn't test well, right, with the the little engine that said, screw it. (laughs) Just not as motivational. I won't even get into the secret garden what that one was. The Twitterverse is warped, man. It, it's just terrible. But we live at this kind of strange moment where this, this world of social media is really in, in, uh, introducing us to this new, whole new language of, you know, friends, fans and followers. Just quick show of hands. How many of you have at least 10 friends on Facebook? Quick show of hands. Keep them up. Over a 100 fans on Facebook, over a thousand fr- uh, followers. Oh Wow. OK. How many of you have more friends on Facebook than in real life? OK, that's, yeah, I could tell, all right? Yeah. Not surprised. Actually, I I I was like I looked at it yesterday. I was like, wow, I have almost 2,000 friends on Facebook. I don't even know what that means, uh, really. We were out. Our family was. uh, We were out for dinner. And we're sitting at a restaurant table, and this gal comes up with a boyfriend. She says, oh, and she goes, I'm sorry to interrupt. She goes, Pastor Tim, you don't even know me, but we're friends uh, on Facebook. <laughs> and there was like this fun moment where it's like, you don't know me, but we're friends. Oh, that's right. You know, kind of friendship has been dramatically redefined, right? Because once what a relationship where you had shared interests or passions, we do life together, we, we confide in each other. Now it's kind of superficial, like, oh, we, maybe we met once or I poked you, and we're friends, sort of, not really. You know, it's a whole thing. But here's the deal. If you go up the ladder of social media, you move from having friends to having fans, okay? This is typically for public figures or celebrities. For instance, I am a uh, New York Yankees uh, fan. I love me some Derek Jeter. And so we're, we're, we, we, he, he sends me his daily uh, updates along with... other of his closest, uh, you know, friends there. And then the next level, the real mark of media success would be followers, okay? How many of you have a Twitter account? You have Twitter? Anybody have Instagram? Do we have people to Instagram? Okay, everyone under 17? (laughs) And moms of a certain age, okay? I know how Instagram works. If you do Instagram, then you know what Sunday is. You know what they call Sunday. Selfie Sunday. What is that? Right? You have to take a picture of yourself. It's so narcissistic and post it. So let's do a selfie Sunday. Ready? I'm going to do this, and then let's see. One. Everyone smile. One, two, three. Okay. gonna up. You're famous. That's amazing. Look at that. You are up there now. In the. Uh, it's an interesting moment because I don't have a. I don't follow a lot of people. Like you know, I just. I, I don't. I feel like I lack the time. But I do follow Pastor Tom. In uh, last week. My phone vibrates, and I get his update pic, which says, I love me some Froyo, but my lactose intolerance makes me leak a little. (laughs) Unsubscribe. (laughs) Hashtag TMI. Friends, fans, and followers, uh, in a digital age, the question that we're asking in the series is, when it comes to Jesus which are you? Are you a fan of Jesus? You like Jesus? You're a fan of church, or whatever? Or are you a follower of Jesus? That's a big question that I want to wrestle with today and throughout the series. And it's really the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, don't skip ahead or say, well, of course, the answer's obvious. I'm in church, aren't I? Why do you think I, you know, I'm here? Or you might think, uh, well, yes, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Sunday school. I think I raised my hand once at the end of a sermon, okay? Of course I'm a follower of Christ. I can prove it. Have you seen the back of my car, right? I got a fish on that junks, all right? It's the Jesus fish. That's not the Darwin fish, okay? There's even a bumper sticker that says, warning, in case of rapture, the car will be unmanned. I'm serious, you know? That, have you seen the stuff they sell at, like, you know, Christian bookstores? People think that these are, like, the external markings of what a follower of Jesus is, But the reality is, I'm not asking you, do you shop at a Christian bookstore? I'm not asking you to go to church every week. Did you go to VBS? Do you read the KJV? Is your ringtone set to Chris Tomlin? I'm not asking that. (laughs) I'm asking you a very pointed, intentional question. Are you a follower of Jesus? So just be serious and hit the pause button for a minute. What if life all comes down to this one single question? What if there really is a heaven and there really is a hell, and where you spend eternity really comes down to the sincerity of your answer. Look, even if you are not a follower of Christ, um, if you're just visiting like today with a friend checking out, that is cool. We are thrilled you're here. You are like a VIP in this church, okay? But understand this. I'm not here to sell you Jesus today, okay? That's not my job. I'm not going to try to convince you of all the benefits of following Jesus, and you know, you, you should convert to Christianity. That's not it. In fact, in some ways, if you're on the fence, I probably should talk you out of it. Because to truly follow Christ, not just raise your hand and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he existed. He he was God, I think, and you know, all that. But someone who truly follows him on a daily basis, honestly, it is a road that's marked by suffering, pain, disappointment at times, sacrifice that makes you uncomfortable. It will affect where you live and and how you love and in the way that you work, even the teaching of Jesus himself when he talks about the high cost of following Jesus, should give you pause. In Luke 9, 23, it says, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, must deny themselves and what? Let's read it together. Take up their cross daily and follow me. You want to follow Jesus? Death to selfie, okay? Yeah, tweet that. A picture of a bloody Roman execution device. Pound sign, no thanks, right? right. In this series, guys, we are going to look at the unedited, explicit version of what Jesus said it meant to actually follow him day by day, not the bumper stickers on the Christian bookstore. Here's the deal. As you read over the four gospels over the next few weeks, you're going to see Jesus make some astounding statements. Sometimes he will say things like, I want you to believe in me. In fact, he says those words, believe in me, five times. But want to guess how many times Jesus says two words, follow me. 20 times, over and over, Jesus is going to say, don't just believe. I want you to follow me. I want your your daily action, your belief in your actions in lockstep. Because in Jesus's mind, that's what it meant to have saving faith. It's not just like believing in your head, this abstract set of doctrines about God, but letting that connect with your heart and then letting it flow out of your hands, your heart, soul, mind, and strength just given over to God. Our question of the day, are you a follower of Jesus Let's turn to John chapter 3 and unpack what that really means. We're going to read in John 3 about a man who wrestled with this very question. His name was Nicodemus. Can you say Nicodemus? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Let's go with Nick for short, okay? John 3 records his exchange with Jesus this way. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, okay? So he believes in Jesus. He's a teacher. He comes from God. Because no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus was doing miracles at this point. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are, say it together, born again. Interesting terms. Well, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and what? The Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. And then Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Just stop right there fascinating exchange between Jesus and Nicky boy. Okay. Think about this because we learned a lot of things about Nicodemus here. And the first is, is that if you look at verse one, we learned that Nicodemus was a religious ruler. Now I'm going to hold up this. This isn't a ruler. It's actually just a yardstick, but that is the example of the kind of faith that Nicodemus would have had. When I say he was a religious ruler, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. That was the religious ruling class they were very powerful politically spiritually everybody looked up to them if you were a member of sanhedrin you walked the straight and narrow nobody measured up to you you were like man i am mr spiritual okay and the reality is nicodemus was very spiritual he was religious as a boy he would have memorized word for word the first five books of the bible okay he would have performed charity he would have followed all the rules of religion that was his measuring stick of what it meant to be committed to God. He would measure himself against the law. I'm doing this. I'm walking straight and narrow. I'm not as bad as him. I'm doing better than Matt. I'm about here. That's honestly how a lot of us measure our commitment with God. Are we being a moral person? Am I doing the right thing? Am I avoiding, you know, uh, sinning, stealing, lying, da-da-da-da-da? And if I'm falling short, we tend to measure ourselves against someone who's a little weaker. Uh, I do this all the time with my wife, honestly. Honestly. Uh, When I feel like I'm falling short as her husband or I feel like convicted about, you know, not measuring up, I typically point to one of my friends. (laughs) I'll throw him under the bus. I'll be like, well, Matt forgot Jen's anniversary. I mean, (laughs) it's not like that. That's what religious rulers do. We measure our righteousness by comparing ourselves with someone we think is inferior so the bar gets lower just a little bit. That's what Nicky was. He was a religious ruler. And if you stick around church long enough, here's the dirty secret. You'll become one, too. You can easily begin thinking, that's how God measures whether I'm a follower. You get into religion and become a moral person who tries to do the right thing and ticks them off. But the reality is, it's very different. Nicodemus was not a follower of Jesus. He was a fan of religion. How do we know? Look at verse 2. It says, Nick came to see Jesus when? At night. Now, why at night? Interesting detail, right? I mean, Jesus is out in public during the day. He's teaching. He's performing miracles. Nicodemus, everyone respects him. Presumably, he could just come on up and say, hey, Jesus, can we just chat for two minutes here? No problem. No. It says Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Why? Because at night, no one can see you. You can remain anonymous. I just like this. I'm not commenting. You could be a private fan, a secret admirer. I'm watching in the shadows. I like Jesus, but I'm not a public follower yet. See, Nicodemus is kind of flirting with the idea of beginning a relationship with Jesus because he saw the miracles and said, he's powerful. He listened to his teaching and said, he's profound. But he wasn't willing to lose his religion yet. See, there's a big difference, guys, between organized religion and a relationship with Jesus. I mean, if a religious ruler were to publicly say, I'm quitting religion and becoming a follower of Jesus... The Sanhedrin would have went nuts. They would have first kicked him out of the religious ruler class. They would have been like, 2,000 years of organized religion, the faith of your fathers, you're giving that up to follow this homeless carpenter from a nothing town called Nazareth? Get out of here. You've gone nuts. He w- Nick would have lost everything. So he comes to Jesus at night so that nobody will know. He's at a crossroads. Do I stay a fan of Jesus? Ooh, you want my fan? I'm intrigued by him, I admire him, or I become a full-blown follower out in the daylight. Contrast those two, fan or follower. Nicodemus has a talk with Jesus, and then Jesus says, it's time, I think, for DTR. You know what a DTR talk is? Any men who've been out on a date have had a DTR talk? Define the relationship. (laughs) These are the three little letters that strike fear in the heart of men of a certain age, Okay. Any man in the room who's been on a date, you've been on the receiving end of a DTR? I remember the first one I ever had was actually in college. It was my freshman year. I took this girl bowling. Um, it, was, it was very casual. Like, you know, we knew each other from campus. We were freshmen. It was Friday. We were both bored. And I was like, hey, do you want to go bowling, get something to eat? Like, that was, you know, big, big deal. And uh, for those of you who are under 20, uh, we used to go on this thing called a date. And uh, <laughs> you know, now it would be like, you want to hang, you know, later? or you know. Anyway... She goes, yeah, and so we went totally casual. So we go bowling, and afterward, I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really show her something. I'm going to take her to TGI Fridays <laughs> for some lava cake because I'm a romantic. That's the kind of guy I am, right? Again, totally casual, but halfway through eating our lava cake, she, like, puts down a spoon, and she goes, can I ask you a question? And, guys, you know, right? <laughs> when you put the spoon down and say that, you're like sure, you know, not really. I want to run. And she goes, um, she goes, I just want to know. She puts a spoon out. She goes, where do you see this going? And I was like, I think we're going back to the dorm. You know, like, I don't want, I don't know what she's getting at. And she goes, no, no, what I mean is, are we just going to like keep this casual or is this like moving to commitment? And all the blood drained out of my face. The lava cake started erupting, you know, out of my. I couldn't believe it. Like, somehow I've been ambushed by a DTR talk after one bowling date. Like, how did I get in this situation? Let me tell you, after her DTR, I got out of their PDQ pretty darn quick, all right? That was our first and our last date because I was like, I am not ready for this moment. It feels premature. To find a relationship, uh, I honestly think that's why I ended up dating my wife for about eight years. Uh, I was psychologically scarred by it. That's I blame it on her. Um <laughs> I joke about this, but here's the deal. The truth is this. Every healthy relationship reaches a point where a DTR is not only healthy, it's actually necessary. Is this casual or committed? Do, do, you, do you like me or love me? Do you just admire me? Or are you ready actually to make a commitment and devote the rest of your life to us being together. Let's, let's DTR, define the relationship, Nicodemus. I'm, Jesus is like, I'm glad you came to see me. Clearly, you are a fan of my teaching, okay? You believe I came from God? Most church people do believe that about Jesus. But I notice you came at night. It's not out in the open. You're still weighing the costs of following. And I just need to know, are you going to be a fan or are you ready to become my follower? Not just a secret admirer, but a completely committed disciple. Fan or follower, casual or committed, let me ask you this. Which of these two best describes your own relationship with Jesus today? Think about this. It's a defining answer, and honestly, there is a big difference. In a crowd this size, I am well aware that there are many fans of Jesus, okay? That is, people who know all about Jesus, you enjoy coming to church, you like singing the songs, you know, hearing, you know, teaching about Jesus on Sunday for an hour, but that's where it stays, restricted to weekends. You're a weekend warrior. That's what a fan is in our culture. That's what it looks like. It's a guy who takes off the shirt, paints himself, he's in the stands, puts on the cheese he's like, woo, Green Bay, woo. okay, time, game's over, you know, and goes home back to his civilian life, takes off the paint and everything, and goes to his nine-to-five job. He's a weekend warrior. You can cheer in the stands, but you never get in the game. You, and, and, and you never have to take a hit. You never have to sacrifice anything because you just get to cheer. And, oh, Sunday's coming again. And it'll just be for that hour or two. No sacrifice required. And the reason is that it's very easy then for fans just to jump off the fan wagon. That's what a lot of fans do in church. I've seen it at Liquid, honestly. I know there are people who start out... Very excited. They come to church. I feel like God's talking to me. They're on fire for Christ. But somewhere week after week after, you know, volunteering, the passion wanes. Or I didn't really like the music today. That, no, I didn't really like that song. Or maybe somebody slights you or insults you or steps on your toes. And you're like, I think there are actually sinful people at this church. Yes. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of them, including me. And at some point, you're going to get your, your toes stepped on. You're going to be slighted. And you're going to say, oh, it's not a perfect church. And if you rely on your own religious spirit, it'll be like a balloon. Whee! And you settle for religious rule keeping and assume it's the same thing. Well, of course, I'm a committed follower. I come once or twice a month, I chip in the offering, I volunteer in the nursery, and it's 24-7, okay? On Mondays at work, I listen to star 99-1. Everyone can hear it. That's <laughs> serious, right? At parties, I drink wine coolers, okay? We have these weird like little Christian benchmarks that are measurements not of our commitment to Christ, but of our religious spirit. See, externally, they have the appearance of life, of righteousness. I'm doing the right thing. But internally, there's a low level of relational passion, of commitment to Jesus himself. And I'm sad to say that's how it is in many churches today. There's a pastor named Kyle Eidelman who is the author of a book called Not a Fan, which I want to give credit to. I want to recommend it to you if you want to be stretched. Eidelman writes, he says, Jesus was never interested and having fans. When he defines what kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer is not an option. My concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. And every week, all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus, but have no interest in truly following him. Wow, truth hurts. He finishes the biggest threat to the church today. It's not atheists. It's not other religions. It's fans who call themselves Christians but actually aren't interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Is that convicting you? Is that stirring you? Does that convict you? Does that inspire you? Does that repulse you? Or like, whoa, don't, don't get too hardcore here, Tim. I'm pointing the laser at my own heart, okay? Because this speaks to every single one of us. Nicodemus believed in Jesus. Jesus is from God. Jesus did wonderful things. But he didn't decide to fully follow him at this point. He sensed there's something more to this than just casual church attendance, just going through the motions. And in verse 3, Jesus is like, oh, you are right. Unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And that was probably hard for a guy like Nicodemus to hear. he had been going to church, temple his whole life. He was an elder. He was thought of as like he's a religious guy. He had the he could put you under the table in a sword drill, okay? He knew every verse, instant recall. But Jesus says, guess what? Religious rituals are not the measurement my Father is using to gauge your commitment. Nicodemus, you got it. Unless you humble yourself and you are born again into this whole new way of life and thinking, you can't have a part in heaven. You can't be part of God's family. You got to hit the control alt delete button and move from a religion of self-effort to spirit-empowered living. See, there's a big difference, guys, between the self and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus contrasts here. And Nick doesn't get it. He's like, born again? How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time. He's like, I've, been, I've had biology class. You can't do that, man. So Jesus like breaks it down. He's like, no, you gotta be born of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, there's things you can do and be a good person, a moral person, in the energy of the flesh but it's pride. It's you saying, I can measure up to God. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with grace. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. You got to have a brand new spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the what? The Holy Spirit. Yes. In other words, Jesus is like, I don't just want the religious part of you the flesh part of you, the weekend warrior part of you, the only at night part of you. I want all of you. I want to invade your human soul with my Holy Spirit so that dead religious heart of yours gets broken once and for all. I'm done with it. I want everything of you. I want your waking and sleeping. I want you during the day. I want you not just Sunday, Monday through Friday. I want to invade you with my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to live my life out through you. You feel the heat? You understand why people are like, okay, following I think I'll stay a fan. The invitation to follow Jesus means you are inviting God to invade your life and turn it upside down. It will cost you something. Following Jesus always costs something. For Nicodemus, it would have cost him a powerful position. It probably would have cost him his livelihood, his income. It would have cost him his reputation in the community with his fans and his, his family and his friends. And it brings up a piercing question, because if you're wondering, like, so am I a fan or a follower? Let me ask you this. Has following Jesus cost you anything this week? Think about that for a minute. What has following Jesus actually cost you? Relationally, at work, decisions you make, the way that you relate to people in your family? Can you think this week of how following Jesus has interfered with your comfortable life? Not your hour on Sunday life, but your Monday through Friday life. Edelman writes that most of us aren't, we like the idea of Jesus makes some minor changes to our life, but he actually wants to turn it upside down. It's not just tweaking and some touch-ups. He's talking complete renovation and overhaul. So I'm just going to ask you this question. I ask you to think about the last five days. Has following Jesus cost you anything? Where, where, where has it interfered with your decisions? I'll point the laser at myself. So I'm working on this message, you know, about follower of Jesus and what that means on Wednesday. And um, when Colleen comes walking in the kitchen, and we know everyone's doing their taxes kind of thing now and everything. And she goes, hey, we got a tax uh, question. And I'm like, well, just call the lady because I'm not smart enough to do the math in our family. So it's like we outsource it, you know, like TurboTax kind of thing. And so I go, can you call the accountant lady? And so uh, she goes, well, here's the issue. We have a babysitter who comes twice a week, and she comes when, my, my wife goes into New York City Tuesdays and Thursdays, typically, two days a week, and we have a babysitter who comes for those days. She helps get the kids off all that, and she's there when they're back, all that. And so she goes, um, you know, starting to mount up, and I'm wondering, should we pay taxes on the babysitter? I'm like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, let's just relax here just a minute. Uh, why, why do you want to pay, it's just a babysitter. And she's like, yeah, I know, but it's beginning to mount up. I was like, all right, well, I guess ask the tax lady, I don't know. So she goes to the other room, comes back in, and with that, this look on her face, she goes, I just spoke to the tax lady. And I'm like, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> what, what, what do we, uh, do we owe money? She goes, she said, if we want to do it by the book, what's required, um, we should pay taxes, and it's a lot. And I'm like, are we talking like hundreds of dollars? And she's like, more. I was like, is this over $1,000? She goes, try $2,000. And all I could think is our summer vacation And let me tell you at this moment, I wish the response of my heart was, well, we're followers of Jesus. And so we're going to pay our taxes because that's (laughs) what we do. That was not the response of my heart. The response of my heart was like, "Ah, "Obama," you know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. I'm like, the government, they're always taking my, they're always trying to get it, and I start, you know, getting worked. and that's just my, I, I respond out of the flesh before the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, gets like, get it out of the way, go, and so I go, to, I go, we don't, we didn't budget for this, I go, that's huge, that's ridiculous, that's literally, that's our summer vacation, we're not going on vacation this summer, and as I say that, my daughter walks in the kitchen, what, we're not going on vacation, I was like, no, Obama, da, da, da. no, 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 I didn't, <laughs> I didn't throw him under the bus. I was, I, I was just like, I was like, sweetheart, I go, we have a situation here where we didn't, mommy and didn't budget for something. I can't believe this. And calls and like, well, I go, Are you, we have to pay that this year? And she goes, well, she goes, she did say that, you know, most people, they just don't report these things. In fact, most people, they, if they do report it, they just say they give a certain amount and then they just give it under the table. She goes, so I guess that's an option. Me, wife, daughter, Jesus. <laughs> And so Chase looks at me. She's like, we're going on vacation. I was like, sweetheart, we're going to go on vacation. But we're also going to pay our taxes. Because here's the deal, sweetie. Everything we have is God's. And he just wants to test us at times and see if we'll have the integrity to treat it that way. We're going to pay our taxes, not because the government's watching or the IRS, but because God's watching us. And as far as this house goes, I know the government mismanages. They don't deserve it. All of that. Help <laughs> me, Help me, Jesus. I feel it right now. I can feel this right now. Help me, Jesus. Because here's the deal, guys. If we measured ourselves against our neighbors, we'd have all the rationalization not to do it. Right? Some of you are like, I got to talk to him after service. You don't have to do this, man. I know somebody. Because all of our. Because that's what the lady said. She goes, most people, they have babysitters. They just don't report that. The government, it's, it's, it's little money anyway. The government's not going to. We can have all the rationalizations in the world if I measured myself against our neighbors or other people. But that's not the ruler God uses. We're measured against the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of God, the, 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 the flaming perfection of God Almighty and the sinlessness of Christ. And according to that, we all fall short. And so I'm like, you know what? We just have to do what is right before God and do this. And Chase goes, really? How come? And I just go, because we're followers of Jesus. This is the moment, guys, where the sermon preaches to me. And she laughed, and, you know, my wife and I are looking at each other, and we're just like, it's what it's going to cost us this year to be followers of Jesus in a literal way. That's what it cost us this week to be followers of Jesus. It was a very literal cost. And so my question to you is, what decisions are you facing? Maybe it was this week, maybe it's gonna be this week. That it's gonna cost you something to actually be a follower. Not just a fan, not just a one-time decision, but I'm gonna take up my cross, I'm gonna sacrifice and follow Jesus no matter what the prices I have to pay. See, the temptation um, as a preacher is to try to make this easy for you tell you how simple Christianity is and emphasize all the sunny aspects of following Jesus. He's your buddy. It's like those infomercials at night with Billy May. Have you ever seen that? It's amazing, right? Look straight into the camera, right? They say, would you like to make more money? Do you like to retire early? Never have to worry again. Take this product. No shipping and handling. It's free. It promises everything but costs you nothing. And honestly, I've been guilty, I think, at times as a preacher of highlighting only the positive aspects of Christianity. Would you like to live forever? Would you like, you know, eternity in heaven? Would you like to avoid hell? Well, it's all free. And while some people sense it, I think there's more than that. A lot of preachers give a gospel that promises everything but costs them nothing. So in case somebody left it out or they forgot to mention it when they explained what it means to be a Christian, let me be explicit today. There is no forgiveness without personal repentance. There is no salvation without surrendering all of your life to God. There's no life by the Spirit, in the Spirit, without death to selfie. Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my follower must deny themselves and take up their cross. What's the word? Daily and follow me. I'm not looking for weekend warriors. I'm looking for daily followers. You want to follow Jesus? It's death to selfie so you can be born again. By the Spirit of God, it's going to war against the flesh, but more of life, more of the Spirit, more of you, Jesus, and me. Are you ready for that, Nicodemus? Let's DTR, define this relationship for real. Are you a fan or are you a follower? What's your answer? I wonder, what's your answer? My prayer is that over these next 40 days, you will take the time to DTR, to define your relationship with Jesus. If you're a fan, I'm glad you keep coming. You start reading your Bible, investigate what Jesus is talking about, lean in, listen carefully. Don't go for religious sales talk. See what Jesus is inviting you into. But if you're a follower, and maybe you've backslid a little bit or your passion just kind of waned, this is a chance for a reboot, like it was for Nicodemus. This is a chance for you to make a new and fresh commitment to follow Jesus Christ for real, full on. We have thousands of people in this church, who are right now reading through the New Testament. And as you do, I want you to take notice of all the times that Jesus says two words, follow me. Because that's him saying, I don't need more fans who sit on the sidelines or cheer for my cause. I want you to pick up your cross and die to yourself so you can live by my spirit. My spirit can live through you. Will you DTR? What's your answer? We don't know how Nicodemus answered that question right here. You'll see the conversation just kind of drifts off, and we don't hear again about Nicodemus. Until John 19, the end of the gospel here, there's one brief final reference to Nicky boy. Jesus has been crucified on the cross for my sin, for your sin. All of God's anger is poured out on the Son, so he can pour all of his life into us. There's a trade that's made. And Jesus' broken body is being prepared for burial. And we read this. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, which was an extremely expensive gift. And this cost Nicodemus more than money. Because this is the moment where Jesus is not coming in and everybody's celebrating. He's a bloody mess on the cross, and it's about everybody scatters. Everybody abandons Jesus. There's only a few people. Everyone else is hiding in fear except for this guy named Nick who steps up he says, I'm actually, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. That's not just a man from God. I believe that's God. And he's my Savior and Lord. In my life, my sin did that to him. And I believe that he did that out of love for me. And he offers this incredible gift and wraps Jesus' body with the world watching, makes a public commitment to follow Christ. I surrender all. That's what Nicodemus our last sighting of him in scripture, out in public, stepping out of the shadows and saying, I'm a follower. I'm a follower. Christian tradition says Nicodemus was martyred at some time in the first century, killed for his faith. So if you have been hiding in the shadows of religion, then Jesus says, be born again. Receive my spirit now, whatever it costs you, and follow me step by step out into the light and public, I will change your life. That is my prayer for you. And I want to give you time to pray right now and talk to your heavenly father. All our campuses, let's just bow our heads. Take this moment right now. Open up your heart to God. You can pray where you are. If you're watching or listening online, listening on the radio, whatever it is, just open up your heart to God. You can confess your sin. That's just telling God what he already knows about you. If you've backslidden, you've been away from God, oh my goodness, what a moment. You are not gonna be met with judgment. You're gonna be met with grace. God's forgiveness and his love right now. Father, I pray as, we're, as your children are talking to you, they're coming back to you. You're speaking to men and women. You're convicting them with your Holy Spirit on the inside, God. Would you till the soil of our hearts so that your word can be planted deeply? Let a spirit of repentance take root in us as your people. confess to you all the ways we've fallen short all the ways we've compromised and we commit ourselves in a new spirit to you Father God, receive these prayers, let them be sincere let this be the start the catalyst of a movement of your Holy Spirit through our whole church New Brunswick, Nutley Morristown, Father, let it let it spill out over New Jersey, and we ask that the glory would go to Jesus as we begin following you, Lord, in the fullness of life that you died to give us. We ask that in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. All God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you are inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com.